This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal, and this is Jess Ghanem live from San Francisco, and we have Jamal Dejani live from Palestine. Jamal, welcome to Arab Talk. Thank you. This is Jamal Dejani live uh, from Jerusalem. This is the second week that we are broadcasting live uh, from Jerusalem, and I want to wish our Muslim listeners a happy Eid. This is the third day of Eid al-Adha right here in Jerusalem. So uh, Eid Mubarak to everyone who is listening to us uh, right here on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM, but also on Facebook Live and uh, other streaming uh, platforms. That's exactly right, Jamal. You can listen to us streaming at kpoo.com, or you can go to Facebook Live at Jamal Dujani too. Jamal, we have a great show, but first and foremost, I mean, because there's a lot, lot that we have to discuss today, I think we have to discuss the medieval kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the return of beheadings. I mean, what, what is the date? I mean, I don't care if it's the Hijra calendar or the Gregorian cal- calendar, but it appears that Saudi Arabia and the, and the crown prince, MBS, are in the process of possibly beheading a female activist in Saudi Arabia because of her activism promoting basic rights for women in Saudi Arabia. W- what is going on? That's right, Jess. Um, Saudi Arabia may carry out its beheading of a female political prisoner. Uh, This is according to reports from several human rights organizations. Uh, Her name is Isra Al-Gongam, who has been imprisoned in uh, Saudi Arabia since 2015 after taking part in in an anti-government protest in the eastern region of Qatif, and uh, and she's, of course, a uh, human rights uh, campaigner. She is uh, very active on social media, and so uh, she had, she was arrested in 2015, and she has been in jail. And so recently, the Saudi government said that uh, that she, along with uh, five others, uh, including her husband, they had been charged uh, with inciting disobedience of the ruler and organizing anti-government protests. Um, I'm paraphrasing the Arabic translation. Right. Uh, The protesters demanded an end to the anti-Shia discrimination and also the release of uh, other uh, political prisoners. So she is uh, due, basically, according to to the reports, that the final judgment for Isra Al-Gumram, her case and others, is scheduled for October, and a judge will either uh, confirm or reverse the death penalty. But now she's charged, basically, with a death sentence. And usually the death sentence is carried out uh, right. by beheading, as we all know, in the medieval, on, in the medieval kingdom, I should say. And we've been talking about the medieval kingdom for many years now. Many, many so, years. Many so years. So the final judgment is on October, and uh, and if if they uh, continue or or they proceed with this, she will be headed, as many uh, others. Uh, have been, uh, just to give you some stats, just in 2017, Saudi Arabia carried uh, 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 146 executions, public executions, and most of these, I mean, some supposedly, because we don't know, are criminals, but many of them are uh, political Dissents and uh, right and and of course there is something very important about this case is you know her demonstration and Isra happens to be a Shia so with this whole atmosphere uh, the anti-Iranian atmosphere in Saudi Arabia and the the war on Yemen and and the Houthis and of course Al Qatif this area is mostly populated by Shiites who are treated basically there as second-class citizens. So whenever they have 
you know, an uprising or whenever they complain, they, they arrest a whole bunch of them and they charge them with all kinds of uh, charges. So you don't know. In many cases, actually, they've, they can label them as terrorists because we've had also uh, executions before or arrests in under the guise of the war on terror. They've joined uh, George W. Right. Uh, Bush earlier, and so they were arresting people left and right, and, and, and in particular in, in this uh, region of Saudi Arabia. You know, Jamal, there's, you know, there, there's also an, an additional kind of interesting backstory here. And that part of the backstory is that the Canadian ambassador to Saudi Arabia, who happens to be a woman, uh, a few weeks ago actually uh, criticized very lightly, very gently, about the case of this uh, Saudi woman activist on Twitter, made some comment about, you know, bringing justice. And uh, I'm sure as you, you know, you know, you know this, that there was a massive um, response by the crown prince and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, basically um, cutting economic ties, cutting flights. People, uh, Muslims from Canada, were coming to do the Hajj and uh, weren't uh, uh, entirely clear if they could either make it to Saudi Arabia or if they made it, if they would be allowed to leave. It has caused a dramatic uh, diplomatic row between uh, Saudi Arabia and and the and the government of Canada. It is amazing to think that in terms of how this is being spun in terms of Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, but essentially the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia now, ushering in this new era of progressive uh, liberal ideas, laws, and behaviors in Saudi Arabia. We are on the cusp of not just a beheading but a major break uh, diplomatically between Saudi Arabia uh, and, and the government of Canada, which is you know, pretty much universally seen in the world as diplomatically one of the most you know, stable, least aggressive, you know, diplomatic you know, countries in the world. And yet, even the hint of a criticism of MBS, the wrath of the crown prince was brought upon this ambassador, but brought upon the entire country of Canada. Absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, you have a major now uh, break in diplomatic relations right. uh, between Saudi Arabia and sanctions imposed by Saudi Arabia on Canada. Uh, you know, um, I guess they're not selling them oil. I don't know what else. But, uh, <laughs> so canceling, canceling the uh, maybe the visas for some yes. of their. Um, expats who are working in uh, in Saudi Arabia, but uh, this whole case—you're right. This whole case of uh, the uh, um, death sentence on uh, on uh, Isra uh, and the uh, criticism that was uh, done by the Canadian embassy and others uh have uh, created this uh, this rift and this break in diplomatic relations but also just there are some uh saudis uh, maybe saudi dissidents who are living in canada for example uh there is uh, a um, a saudi activist who is living in canada or saudi canadian i would say uh, who have who has been very critical of the government, and so the Saudi government now is retaliating against his family. So, so the his name is uh, Omar Abdul Aziz, uh, Omar bin Abdul Aziz. This is what he goes by the name of, uh, of when he tweets or when he posts on Facebook. Yeah. So. The so all the authorities have arrested two of his brothers and a number of his friends. Uh, he's a, promen a prominent Saudi political activist based in Canada. So they cannot reach him in Canada. You know, this is separate from the retaliation against Canada. Now they are retaliating against this uh, Saudi activist uh, right in, in his own country and retaliating against his... Right. His, his family uh, and his brothers who have nothing to do with his views, by the way. 
Well, earlier this year, Jamal, Mohammed bin Salman came to the United States on a rebranding of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia tour, um, visiting Silicon Valley, visiting uh, major political figures. He was on 60 Minutes. He was, it was an attempt to rebrand Saudi society and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia as this bastion of, you know, uh, progress, not progressive, that's too strong, obviously, but, in, you know, things are changing. The so-called, and I put this in quotes, women can drive movement, close quotes, was ushering in a new era in Saudi Arabia of bringing it into the 21st century. This was universally seen as a, you know, positive rebranding attempt by Mohammed bin Salman. He has an extremely close relationship with Donald Trump, which, you know, we'll talk about a little bit later. He has also initiated much closer relationships with uh, the Israelis and Benjamin Netanyahu that have gone beyond just the typical security arrangements. Has the Here's the question. Has this rebranding, has the patina, if you will, of the rebranding already uh, fallen off? Because... Some people would say that this new effort to behead this Saudi woman uh, is is really the true face of what Saudi Arabia is about. Well, I mean, I don't think this rebranding, and of course, by the way, you uh, did not mention that Saudi Arabia spends millions of dollars, just like the Israeli APAC lobby in Washington, D.C. They've actually hired a... Uh, a, I forgot the name of the uh, public relations firm. Public relations firm, but they hired this big multi million dollar public relations firm right uh, uh, you know, in Washington, D.C. to kind of rebrand them and, and, and whitewash the oppression that happens in Saudi Arabia. But most importantly, I mean, of course, the case of the activists and the beheading and, 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 be, and because. Uh, she happens to be a woman, uh, of course, uh, plays a, a major uh, role. However, the bigger story, which people don't pay attention to, is the atrocities the, the, the Saudis are committing in Yemen. Exactly. Just last week, as you know, children were killed in a bus, by the way, uh, you know, by a missile made in the USA. And, and there is famine literally there is a famine That's ongoing right. now in, right. in Yemen. That's right. Children are dying in Yemen. They've destroyed half of the country. And the world is silent. The world is silent. So I don't know. Well, silence from, has, from has the United do. States. From the United it's States. Silent. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, more can be done. I mean, these are atrocities that are... Uh, being committed on a daily basis. That's right. And the last of which, I mean, imagine, you know, you have school children in a bus, totally slaughtered by a missile. And all what we hear is like few condemnations here and there. That's right. And so, so I, I don't care how, mu how many millions of dollars they'll spend on their PR firm in Washington, D.C. So maybe the story, in a way, of the... Hopefully, it will not happen because of international pressure, and maybe because of the international pressure, because of the case of Isra, the Saudi activist, will shine the spotlight on on the real Saudi Arabia, which is still the medieval kingdom. And let's not, you know, play the game of showing few women driving. Oh, finally, like we're we're supposed to get all excited in the 21st century that Saudi Arabia is allowing women to, you know. To drive. It's laughable. This is KPOO in San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM. This is Jess Hanem broadcasting live from San Francisco with my co-host Jamal Dejani, who's live from Jerusalem in Palestine. And you can listen to us on Facebook Live at Jamal Dejani, too. Well, Jamal, so here, here's, a, here's the question. Doesn't it sound kind of familiar or interestingly familiar? When have we said in the past— that innocent children were killed by a bomb uh, missile or a bomb made in the USA. Kind of sounds familiar to me. And Very I very familiar. Yeah, and Gaza. yeah, precisely. And, and Lebanon, by the way, we should we should add, but also 
Israel gets a pass. And Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Arabia gets a, a wink and a nod to slaughter children. And that's the reality. And this is the silence I'm talking about by the United States and and most of the NATO country by the UK and others. You know, I'm trying to differentiate between governments and activists and, and citizens and right. the media. Right. We, we have editorials by the media and so on. But who is selling all these bombs and missiles and uh, F-16s and so on to Saudi Arabia? Who uh, The United States. Who is selling them their deadly uh, attack helicopters? The UK. Those are the two big suppliers of weapons to Saudi Arabia. So I don't care about the soft criticism. If you want to really stop the slaughter, you do something about it by stopping uh, supplying them with weapons. Well, uh, the other, by the way, the other kind of common theme here, Jamal, and this all interrelates because I, I want to introduce another level of complexity because, in fact, there are people in the State Department who who are career you know, career people, career government officials who've been working in the State Department of the United States for many years, who have consistently criticized the government of Saudi Arabia for these actions and and have been silenced now because of the Trump administration. Let's not forget that the free pass that the Saudis are getting at the at the at the cornerstone of this are really two people, Jared Kushner and Donald Trump. The, the, the pass that the Saudis are given, the free pass, and that's a free pass in the United Nations as well as on the world stage, is coming from Donald Trump and his insistence on doing these kinds of deals with the Saudis. And we know from reports and MBS let this out. He and Jared Kushner are, uh, are buddies. They are, you know, they have a bromance. They, you know, last time Jared Kushner was there, uh, they stayed up till four o'clock in the morning on multiple nights chatting away about the world. So, you know, this does speak uh, volumes about where Saudi Arabia is headed, the brand, the patina of somehow Saudi become Saudi Arabia becoming more, uh, you know, in line with, uh, you know, what's happening in the world in terms of human rights. You know, we have to not just question it. But we also have to say, where's the evidence? It looks like it's actually getting worse because of what's happening in Yemen and the possibility of beheading yet another uh, Saudi uh, activist. This is not good, Jamal. No, it's not. And uh, on the topic, I want to switch gear uh, because you started talking about Kushner and Trump. Yes. And a lot we, has happened since you left. A, a, a lot, lot has a happened. Lot has happened. <laughs> and we cannot, uh, you know, leave the topic uh, or I was going to keep it till last, but we might as well talk about it because, of course, the big news and I've been following the news uh, right here from Jerusalem and trying to read and uh, to read uh, through kind of different angles from the Arab media and from the Israeli media. And of course, this is a big story. Uh, right in the United States, but the and I have to uh, uh, actually give you uh, a little bit of praise uh, because uh, you've always uh, <laughs> talked about Jared Kushner and uh, you've always talked about uh, Mr. Cohen, Michael Cohen. That's what I'm saying. And, I and I, you, I think my predictions are going to be right, Jamal. And I, you always said that Jared Kushner will end up behind bars. And we've seen the first kind of step towards that. And, and I'm sure most of our listeners uh, are familiar now uh, with the story uh, about Mr. Cohen, who pleaded guilty to eight federal charges, including five counts of tax evasion, two counts of campaign finance violations, yep. and making false financial statements and said that he worked to influence the 2016 elections at the direction of the candidate, and, and I'm quote-unquote here, at the direction of the candidate. I.e. Donald Trump. I, well, yeah, i.e. Donald Trump, and who represented Donald Trump, and who was in the room and the meetings uh, with Donald Trump or others, uh, be it his children or his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. I am 
very sure now after this, of course, uh, this is going to to lead to uh, Kushner, then Trump, and 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 Trump Jr. Don Jr. And because yeah, because uh, uh, your friend Michael Cohen is singing like a canary. <laughs> seems to me. Oh, <laughs> you don't even. But Jamal, you don't even know the half of it. He's also he was indicted yesterday, also by the state of New York, uh, by the attorney general, who's going after Michael Cohen for um, a, a lot of tax evasion also. Here, here's another kind of interesting couple of points which I want you to think about. I'm not sure if this has been reported in the Israeli press or in the Arab media, but another person who has uh, gotten an immunity deal is the king of taxis, this guy, this Russian uh, Israeli guy whose name is, I think, uh, Igor or Ihor Friedman. He's called the king of taxis. And he also had multiple indictments, was going to go to jail, hasn't paid his taxes. He's notorious in Manhattan for own, own, and in the boroughs for owning, I don't know how many hundreds, if not thousands of taxi medallions. He yesterday was also given complete immunity in the state uh, of New York. And I think <clears throat> he connected to um, Michael Cohen, not only know where the bodies are buried, but are involved in, and this is really what I think is underlying all of these individuals getting into trouble, tremendous money laundering and tax avoidance uh, from, from Russian oligarchs. I think when all is said and done, what we're going to find out uh, is that Donald Trump, Jared Kushner, and and the and the Trump family have been laundering millions and millions and millions of you know Russian oligarch money over the decades. I mean, Don Jr. has said you know not that long ago that they get all of their investments for their Trump golf courses uh, from the Russians. There's another person, and there's a, an accountant, Yevgeny something or another, and I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Gene Friedman, that's the king of taxis. Then there's the accountant for Michael Friedman, as well as someone who's done this uh, accounting for some of the Trumps, is also reached an immunity deal. And um, this guy knows where all the money is. He knows about the tax uh, you know the the tax records. You know the uh, that you know Trump has filed over the years. He's also reaching an immunity deal. So I hate to say I told you so, but I think one of my uh, predictions for 2018 might be happening sooner than than later. You're absolutely right. I mean, connect the dots, and you uh, and and uh, uh, you know, I, I mean. Uh, this Michael Cohen, if you read the indictment, oh, it's bad, which is, which is uh, about eighteen pages long. Yeah, and I haven't finished all of it. Uh, I've read half of it, really, because the the charges and 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 here is a factoid. Yeah, the uh, the little factoid. Maybe uh, our listeners might find it interesting. The person who delivered the indictment or the assistant, I guess. Uh, district attorney for Manhattan. Uh, his uh, last name is uh, Khazemi. He's Lebanese yes. American. Yes, yes, he was and, on the news. Yeah, he, he was, was the lead. The yeah, he was the lead. He was, you know, this is just a factoid. He's the one that read all the indictment, of course, and a, a abbreviated indictment. You have to read the whole thing. But this Michael Cohen, yes, he was, uh, I don't know if you can even call him an attorney, Donald Trump attorney. He was like Donald Trump's hitman. Exactly. You know, that was, you know, and, and Donald Trump's cover-up person. Fixer. Fixer. They called him the fixer. Yeah. But he acted more like a hitman. He threatened people. Yes. He called people. He negotiated. He did anything Anything but lawyering or following the law. Yes. And then his big business was taxi medallions. And th this is his real income aside from Donald Trump. And he, he is connected to this, uh, this uh, 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 Evgeny. I think yeah, Ev Evgeny. 
Gene Friedman. Friedman, yeah, nicknamed the Taxi King, who last year was charged by state prosecutors last summer, I should say, with pocketing more than five million dollars in taxes. So if they're stealing five million dollars in taxes, you know, and this is what the government was able to uh, charge him with. You know the millions of dollars they've been making on the side. Exactly. And and and, and so so he's very much connected. But he got to, a pass, which which is interesting, Jamal. He's he's evaded taxes. Gene Evgeny, the king of taxis, Friedman, has got a plea deal. He's got complete immunity now, which means he's going to start singing as a, uh, like a bird, and we're going to find out that this web of corruption, money laundering, and not paying your taxes is going to spread throughout you know, the Trump uh, empire. We know now, I think, why Donald Trump doesn't want us to see his tax returns, right? Because absolutely, it's the same, I mean, it's the same it's thing that got, yeah, Paul Manafort in jail, you know, not paying taxes, laundering money. Come on. It's been two years and he hasn't, shown us his tax returns, uh, and he, I don't think he has any intention well, I to think do so. I don't want to see them, Jamal. I just want Robert Mueller to see them, and I believe that Robert Mueller has uh, Donald Trump's tax return. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM. It's Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm broadcasting live from San Francisco. Jamal is live from Jerusalem in Palestine. You can listen to us, you know, streaming on kpo.com, or you can listen to us and watch us, if you will, on Facebook Live on Jamal Dejani too. Jamal, how is all of this playing out? Let's let's start with the Israeli media. How I mean, this is I, I, we've talked about how Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli ultra right has overplayed their hand you know, in terms of their support for Donald Trump. I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu is, for all reasons except for MBS, the the only world leader who continues to support Donald Trump and believes what he does and is doing is, you know, really great. So how is the Israeli press on both sides from Haaretz to, you know, the right, how are they covering what's happening uh, to Cohen and Manafort and Trump? Well, it's it's very well covered, especially in the Israeli media, and of course in 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 the Arab media. But uh, here, I mean, the attention. I mean, after all, uh, Trump is the backbone for Israel. He's the uh, the darling, you know, president of the United States, and uh, people are nervous that this might lead to a change in, you know, basically that he, he's not going to win the elections. I don't think, you know, I, I was trying to to see other uh, reasons why, why they are very afraid because uh, Pence is very supportive. So if Donald Trump, let's say, gets impeached and removed, you have Pence who will replace him and he's not any any better. But the question is whether these things will have major effect on the upcoming election that That's right. uh, he he will be a one-term president. And they are very nervous also with the changes in Congress. And they report on all the changes of the progressives and, and the socialists and the and Arab Americans uh, winning seats and oh, Muslim Americans winning seats. They must be freaking out, Jamal, because yeah. So, so this is getting a lot of attention. Yeah, and and uh, there is a major fear that uh, Donald Trump might be a one one term president, and they're covering the story. Uh, I would say uh, wall to wall uh, right here, and uh, you know, uh, but. Uh, it depends. Again, it's not a the Israeli media is not a monolith, so you do have, uh, you know, if you read a story in the Jerusalem Post or the Ot Ahronot, and then you read the same the same story in, uh, you know, Haaretz, and then then the narrative is different. Exactly. Now has um, 
I'm curious because, you know, when we say the Arab media, just as there's diversity in the Israeli press, there's probably even more diversity in the Arab media and the Arab press. You know, um, deep differences, you know, from Lebanon to the Gulf to, uh, you know, Africa. But I'm curious on your surveilling the Arab media, how is it being covered? What's, I mean, because really what happened this week, Jamal, was a political and legal uh, tsunami, earthquake, whatever you want to call it for Donald Trump. Absolutely the worst week of his presidency, arguably probably one of the worst weeks of his life. I mean, people are turning on him. People who said they would take a bullet for him are turning on him. We now heard today, for example, that the... He tweeted tweeted this morning, Yeah. if you want to hire an attorney, don't hire Michael Cohen. (laughs) I mean, this is crazy. Imagine this is the president of the United States. This is his attorney for what, 15, 16 years? 20 years. 20 years. This was the, this is, you know, what he tweeted. If you want to hire an attorney... Don't hire Michael Cohen. Well, Michael Cohen's going to be going to jail for a minimum of five or six years. So, you know, what, that's what we, we know. But has the Arab media, what is the diversity of coverage in the Arab media about the Trump presidency and what's happening right now? Well, you know, I've, I've been, you know, monitoring this, as you know, for many years. And uh, this is kind of uh, one of my main interests uh, so it's not something like I was focusing on the past few months because right. you have to track it for years. But believe it or not, I mean, in general, many Arab countries initially liked Donald Trump. I believe it. Might one, be of course. A surprise. I'm not surprised. The Gulf countries, Saudi Arabia, wherever. Gulf countries, yeah. CC. If you talk to people, yeah, if you talk to different people. Now, you know, they come and they ask me this question. I mean, I'm talking about journalists who I know who are here. Really, what's going on? Is this guy sane or is this for real? <laughs> is this an act? They're confused. I would say now their position is confused. They are not uh, up to speed like in 100% uh, as far as the different uh, legal uh, cases. So uh, some of them know more about the cases, but others are like really confused. You know, they, they're looking at the scandalous part of uh, of the accusations and they're not looking at the more the political issue, you know, what, what's happening with the Russians right, right. And, and things like this. But I think it's little by little now it's coming around that they, they are not dealing with someone like they've dealt with before. And today you might be Donald Trump's friend, tomorrow you're his enemy. So I think this is the message. If he's kind of like, uh, you know, selling his attorney uh, down the river and vice versa, because basically they're selling each other out. Right. uh, Then he can get, you know, and that's the message that I try to explain. You know, don't trust anything that he's going to tell you. And they know. So maybe, you know, aside from the Gulf, maybe who are dependent on, on you know, Donald Trump and his business dealings, people are very skeptical. Uh, but Jamal, I mean, beyond the Gulf, I mean, we know that the, uh, the Emirati uh, leaders and the crown princes, obviously MBS, um, but Let's not forget uh, General President uh, Sisi, who's a great admirer of uh, President Trump. Now, more interestingly, though, I think someone who might be feeling a little uncomfortable right now might be King Abdullah in in Jordan. And I I wonder what's coming, you know, because there's a a lot going on right now, which I want to get your view on just in terms of you know, what's happening in Syria now, um, the impact on Jordan. Jordan continues to appear to be, in my humble opinion, in a very fragile position still. Um, So I wonder what you're hearing in terms of that front, in terms of what's happening with King Abdullah, what's happening in Jordan, because it'll have a great impact on everything in the region. Well, you know, the big story was a court 
from Donald Trump when he met with King Abdullah yeah. in Washington, D.C., and then King Abdullah, he told him, and, and actually he was speaking the truth, and he said, listen, now Palestinians are not interested in a two-state solution. They think that Oslo is dead, which is true. That's the reality. And the younger generation is talking about uh, the one-state solution, something that I've advocated for so many years, as you know, we had the whole documentary right. talking about it. Right. And now people are saying this is this is not feasible the way uh, the settlements are. You have 800,000 settlers in the West Bank. The goal for Israel is to have a million settlers. And Israel is a one big open air prison, and Israel has passed this uh, nation state law, which is really an apartheid law. Right. And so, you know, forget about the this, this whole idea of uh, the uh, a, a country, a Palestinian state that is going to be contigu- contiguous between the West Bank and and Gaza. So people are. Now, for the first time, I would say, when I used to mention the one state to people 10 years ago, they used to look at me like, what are you, you're crazy or something like that? <laughs> but people now, they're not. They're like, you know, and I have to say, in Jerusalem, and we've talked about it last time, the number of Palestinians who hold Israeli citizenship uh, has risen. Oh, really? Uh, quite a bit, yeah. People, you know, they're... You know, they've obtained Israeli citizenship. They're pretty much disconnected from the West Bank, even though they have a lot of interest. And uh, what's happening in Ramallah is like a whole different, you know, scenario. And we'll talk about it a little bit more. So there is that uh, thinking. And so King Abdullah, to go back to King Abdullah, the last when he met with Donald Trump, he told him, that this is the scenario. People do not believe in Oslo or the two states, and they're thinking of one state. And this was quoted in the media, and he said, Donald Trump told him that, well, then the next prime minister of Israel might be, his name might be Muhammad. (laughs) You know, read this. You can, people who are listening to us, they can Google it, but this is something that was published maybe a thousand times, both in, you know, you could look it up in, uh, of course, in the U.S. media and others in Israeli media and wherever, but also this kind of statement in Arab media. And the issue is kind of like Donald Trump gets it as far as having he, a one state, but, he gets but, it. He, but then again, it's like, what's wrong of this is democracy? Hey, <laughs> you know? So, so, so his racist side comes out. Exactly. Like he, he, he'll be surprised. Maybe he doesn't know that the Palestinian population between the between the river to the sea, between the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, is currently outnumbers the Israeli so population. So, of course, in a democracy, and hopefully. Actually, something like this might happen, not in essence that one one will overtake the other, but hopefully at some point we'll have real peace here where people can elect the person who represents them, who represents their interests. Exactly. Muslim, Christian, or, or Jew, it doesn't matter. Exactly. As long as it's a real democracy. But Donald Trump was surprised by this message. And this is what he said. So that actually made a, a, a big headlines right here. Well, you got, the, yeah, go ahead. No, no, and then the other story is, I mean, we do have issues on the ground. And the other story is there are now direct and, in, well, I should say, we don't know if they're direct, but let's call them for now indirect. Sometimes when they say something is happening behind the scene, I don't know. If I believe that, but the big issue, there's a lot of negotiation going on between Hamas and Israel. Yes, we've heard the same. Yes. Not not the Palestinian Authority, not Mahmoud Abbas. It's actually a lot of negotiations happening now behind the scene. And uh, most recently, we've learned news that Israel has offered Hamas a seaport 
in Cyprus where they can receive, you know, they can work out a deal uh, between them and, and Cyprus where goods can be shipped uh, through Cyprus to the Gaza Strip and an airport near Elat under Israeli supervision as well as an airline, you know, an airline. And this is, uh, this, this, is, this is the big news. I mean, it was kind of reported in most Isra- Israeli media outlets. It is big news. And which, uh, which infuriated, of course, uh, Fatah and uh, Mahmoud Abbas and, uh, you know, uh, and the PA. And they, uh, Fatah had, had a meeting, of course, last week here. So, so the news now, it, the news is not focused as far as what's happening. You know, nobody talks about peace negotiations. This is, uh, no one talks about it. It's, it's amazing. Right. I mean, well, be- Oslo, Oslo is dead as a cucumber. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> dead, as a, <laughs> dead as a doornail. But listen, the, the Israelis, despite their oppression, their occupation, their brutal treatment of... Palestinians and 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 their own citizens, you know, at some level they have to be really nervous about a couple of things. One, as we alluded to earlier, just the changing demographics uh, in the United States, especially in the Democratic Party. The younger you are, the more likely you are to support Palestinian self determination rights, and are much more sympath- quote sympathetic with Palestinian narratives, 100%. I mean, that's changing. Two, the Democratic Party is going through a massive transformation and most likely is going to swing more to the left. And, uh, you know, that platform of the progressive party, of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, is much more pro-Palestinian. So you have a combination of a shift in demographics, a more progressive understanding of the political context for Palestine. And the third item is that young Jewish Americans in that, mm-hmm. you know, no longer have that identity to, or, or a fealty, if you will, or feeling about Israel anymore. So the, these three things, Jamal, all are converging. It must be making the elite, the Israeli uh political elite, very nervous right now, because I'm sure they see these facts the same way we do. Yeah, well, I think the bigger story really is the last one that you've mentioned. There is a rift, or at least they're feeling there is a a rift between progressive uh, Jewish Americans or uh, progressive Jews in Europe and, uh, and the government of Benjamin Netanyahu. And that's why they are freaking out. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've talked uh, last week about, uh, you know, what's happening at Ben-Gurion Airport and the questioning of uh, uh, American Jewish journalists and other activists and then the banning of uh, members of Jewish Voice for Peace and, and other organization. I don't think there is a single day that I haven't read an article in Haaretz or or Idiot Ahranot uh, about it. I, I, every single really? day. Really? Today there was an article in Haaretz about somebody talking about his experience. I think, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, the title of it, I wrote it down, somewhere, Israel's message to the liberal diaspora Jews who supported Sheikh shape up or else you know i think that's i'm, I'm paraphrasing yeah. here but they've had this and the uh, you know the writer starts talking about that he's a proud uh, uh, jew with a deep love for israel and then and then he goes on to this rift that he doesn't support uh, the action of the israeli government and the new law which is you know we term it as the apartheid law and then uh, people have started more and more sharing their experiences after the big story of Peter Beinart, right. uh, who was uh, stopped and questioned uh, a few days ago at Ben-Gurion Airport. And then, of course, he was interviewed about it and he wrote about it and then others started. And now they have kind of like a Me Too movement, uh, people who... Uh, I mean, Jewish Americans who are talking about their experience. 
and and so this this I feel this is more effective in a way, you know, than other things. It's yeah. kind of uh, kind of that now people are are speaking about these issues and saying to the world, we don't agree with what Israel is doing on the ground. We don't agree with this apartheid condition. We don't agree with this uh, Jim Crow uh, uh, laws yes. that uh, uh, Knesset members are passing. And every day they're pushing the envelope. Every day, you know, after that, that uh, oh, by the way, after they passed the uh, the bill, yeah. Uh, who basically say that everyone else who is not Jewish in the state of Israel is a second-class citizen. There was a new bill now introduced that if you carry the Palestinian flag, you will face one year in prison. Wow. In a, in a demonstration. Wow. Yeah, so now, uh, Palestine, and, and remember, this came on the heels of a major demonstration That's right. that happened in Tel Aviv, right. where where liberal Israelis, liberal Jewish Israelis, marched with Palestinians, uh, Palestinians with Israeli citizenships, with Druze, and, others, and Druze, and so forth, yeah. uh, demonstrating against the apartheid law, and they were carrying Palestinian flags. Wow! And the Druze were carrying their banner or the Druze flag and others, and so now there is a new bill saying if you demonstrate with the Palestinian flag, you will face a year sentence. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM. We're in San Francisco. This is Jesran Nam broadcasting live from San Francisco. Jamal Dijani is speaking us speaking to us live from the capital in Palestine in Jerusalem. And listen, Jamal, we only have a few minutes left, so I I wanted to hear about What's happening in Ramallah? I, you you made an allusion to it, and I'm very curious because I've you know my feeling about Ramallah. I find it incredibly painful, if not disturbing, whenever I've been there. You have been there recently. What's your two minute assessment? Well, I mean, uh, you know, from a political uh, aspect, as far as the Palestinian Authority. They are in deep trouble yes. now because they have been financially squeezed by many donors. Of course, we know the United States had has uh, stopped all financial aid and they even stopped financial aid to the UNRWA. So they are fi- uh, suffering financially. And at the same time, uh, there is a major disarray because they, they, they still have the rift between them, between Fatah and Hamas, and the all attempts to, uh, you know, for uh, a resolution or a peaceful resol- resolution have failed with the under, you know, the auspices of whether the Egyptians or others, and they have been marginalized. I yeah. would say, as far as on the inter- because you know, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, has, uh, you know, sent a very strong message uh, that, number one, he moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. Number two, that uh, he has his the deal of the century that everyone is waiting for, and they know it's going to be just a, <laughs> the disaster of the century. Absolutely. And, and, and they've shut down the uh, PLO uh, mission, you know, or what they refer to it here as the Palestinian embassy in Washington, D.C. So the uh, representative for the PLO, uh, Mr. Hussam Zumlot, is sitting right here in Ramallah, and he should be, he should have been sitting right in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So they're totally disconnected, and they've recently, Mahmoud Abbas, they've had a meeting for their executive committee, and many members didn't, we didn't show up and I've listened to his speech. There was nothing new uh, in, in in the speech. Uh, to, to tell you the truth, they have nothing to offer. They don't, and, Jamal. They, they really don't now, have anything to offer. They don't. And so now the Israelis are outflanking them 
and they know the trouble. And by the way, the West Bank is pretty quiet. In, in essence, now the West Bank is quiet. The problem, both on the on on the ground and in the in uh, in the uh, our public relations nightmare, comes from Gaza. And Israel, as we as we all know, uh, has been very brutal, killing civilians, journalists, uh, medics, and so forth. And they've had a lot of issues. Uh, you know, as much as they've tried to wa- to whitewash it, yeah. they failed. So they want that front to be quiet. And that's why now they are negotiating, and, and they say secretly, with Hamas. And that's why we hear about, you know, the offer to have the uh, seaport uh, through Cyprus and to have uh, an airport in uh, near Elat. So there is something very, very fishy going on. And the Palestinian Authority knows something, you know, they've been kind of like, they've, they've kind of circumvented them. Right. And so they're worried from the, this end, and then they're worried that now there'll be suddenly an announcement by Jared Kushner and company about this uh, this new peace plan, and, be, and this becomes uh, fait accompli, and that's the big fear. Okay, well, I'm sure we're going to be covering this for a long time uh, coming up. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Send us your comments to ArabTalk at KPO.com. Follow us on Twitter at Arab Talk. Follow us on Facebook at Jamal Dejani2. And uh, send us your comments. We'll, thanks a lot, Jamal. Be safe, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye-bye.